Hello and welcome to Tetetet by Fresco Media and today we're here for the part 2 of our big Premier League preview. Uh we've got four teams today that we're going to go through, uh Man United, Southampton, West Brom and Fulham and we're going to analyze their chances heading into the new season. And uh there's no better way to start I guess for both of us uh, because we are united in our displeasure of Man United as a football club but uh we are going to look at it as neutrally as possible i know it might be hard to believe but that's how we are going to look at it and uh, i just have to say before we get into the nitty gritty of united's failings over the past couple of months that it is it fills me with a lot of delight that after 10 years of ins and outs and a lot of uh, bad moments as well as good moments we can see that united has been heading down a trajectory that both of our clubs Liverpool and Arsenal have been heading for a long time so at least it makes them feel more normal and it has been very abnormal for many united fans when i speak about manchester united i do have to uh, say that i do kind of speak with a little bias in the sense that i absolutely hate this club but of course the fans also in the sense that you know some of my very close friends are united fans it just makes it even more irritating as an arsenal fan to see what they've achieved over the years and since ever since i started watching football and to see what's happening to the club right now i mean uh, in my opinion manchester united are the biggest club in england and i don't think like you know as a liverpool fan i think you may disagree with that but for me personally ever since no I'm, for sure for sure there are they are the biggest they club are. in the world there's and, no denying and it and i think that's just what makes it even more sweeter to see what they're going through right now in the sense that uh, they're not finishing in the they're not finishing where they're, they're used to finishing in the league and uh, not competing in the champions league year in year out and as a neutral i do think that it's kind of sad to see what's happening with united and of course uh, we'll come we'll come to uh, the points where i feel that they have been failing in the sense behind the scenes the drama that's happening there uh, ed woodward as an executive is he good enough for the football front of it and of course i think uh, i think a lot of my united friend, f- friends know my position when it comes to ole gunnar solskjaer i mean I think we, you can never take away the fact that he's a club legend just for the fact that he scored the winning goal in the treble season to win the Champions League from and clinch it away from Bayern Munich in the last second but I don't think he's good enough for United I don't think he is capable of taking them forward to where they belong in the sense that uh, can they challenge the title with the likes of City and Liverpool and especially with the type of coaches that they have who have clearly improved the team just due to their sheer personality and tactical nuance that they bring to the team but um, what do you think about united and as a liverpool fan of course especially after the years where liverpool had a relative sense of uh, mediocrity and right now with united do you, do you see parallels about what happened with liverpool maybe in the uh, late 2000s and the early 2010 i think there are a lot of parallels from the time where liverpool was still struggling to get in the top 4 top 3 or even challenge for the title liverpool at the time were just you know reeling from the fact that gillet and hicks had left the club in such a precarious position and it seemed like the supporters just expected liverpool to win a league every season and i think the same can be said about united um in the last 7 or 8 years because with every managerial appointment we've seen louis van hal we've seen jose mourinho we've seen um ole gunnar solskjaer they expect a league title within 2 or 3 years and that is very unrealistic in this present era of football and like liverpool have shown or uh, drawing similarities it it is the project that makes a club you know elevate themselves to the next level and united at this point don't seem to have that project I genuinely feel that the man they have at the head of the project is not a good fit for the club 
and of course there are problems in the background um you know in terms of how the how they lack a sporting director and how that is really costing them a transfer market where other teams are making hay i think it's a very pointed note that you were saying that they don't have a uh, director of football at the helm in order to steer the club with the football front of it because i do think that re- recently um, if you notice that monchi had made comments saying that uh, a, st- a club of united stature does need a director of football who is solely responsible for the footballing front of it and then you can of course have ed woodward who we cannot take it away from him has made united a commercial juggernaut all over the world but clearly he what he has in terms of finance he lacks in football um, capabilities on the uh, not just the uh, finance side of it of course so the finance side of it sorry but i'm talking about like recruitment the handling of the club uh, the background uh, staff that uh, constitutes the club and of course the handling of the manager um if you look at united over the years so alex ferguson he clearly identified what his top targets were for the club in order to ensure that they at least stay at the same level or if not go to the next level and david gill would go out and as the head of football at the club he would go and he would get the targets required for sir alex ferguson the same cannot be said for ed woodward like let's just take an example of this summer jaden sancho the jaden sancho saga i think has been abysmal for united as a club because they have been ridiculed with because of the fact that we all know it's been a well publicized uh, chase for jaden sancho to be brought from dortmund over to manchester but it's not happened and there of course i think so the more important thing is that they've been ridiculed by other clubs as well who've been dealing with united over the past two months it's not just supporters um, and that's quite a, concerning for club united also this is not mm. the first instance is it it's happened before in the transfer market with other players as well exactly and um <laughs> we're talking about recruitment now, of course jaden sancho has been the main talking point but the fact that they went in and you know picked up alex tellers and uh, edinson cavani on deadline day you know it has the falcao vibes all over again because we all remember that one night you know on sky sports um they were, i think they were live streaming it on youtube or something and uh <laughs> falcao was making his way through the forest in the middle of the night to get to carrington to finish his medical and it reminds me of you know again a last minute move to sign a player who has been available for the last 3 months who hasn't played competitively and regularly over the past year and a half really and that's desperation at the end of the day and the last thing you want as a club united size is desperation especially when the club is not able to achieve results on the pitch so um, plenty of problems and uh, we're going to come on to the defense i think because that is the big problem hasn't it because we all know that after after the um, restart uh, they probably were lucky to finish in the top 4 considering the drop off of leicester city and sheffield and of course tottenham and well we all look at harry maguire and we make a lot of fun of him but do you really think he's cut out for a club united size and is he a capable leader of that team <laughs> uh just to talk about the fact that he said that we should be looking at the united defense right now and i think that every footballing fan out there realizes that united need to have recruited a center back i want to say one thing here i'm going to say that they got rid of the, the best center the back that club. they brought alex uh, telles who's Chris fantastic going for forward but Roma. defensively Smallini. chris smalling smaldini <laughs> smaldini i mean again yeah you never know it might come to bite them in the ass again and uh, i just feel that it comes back to the point where we were talking about a director of football that needs to be in place there at manchester united because 
A director of football, he can oversee the project even if there needs to be a change at the helm in terms of the manager. So if, example, Skolska were to have maybe say if he were to have been relieved of his duties right now, the director of football will still know that the defense needs to be a priority going into the next transfer market. Whereas if you don't have a director of football of that way, you might get in a manager who might be okay, be like, okay, I'm comfortable with my centre-back pairing options that I have, but I would like you to go and maybe get me one more attacker or maybe one more central attacking midfielder, which might not be the best option for United at the time. So I do feel that they definitely need to get a director of football in order to ensure that they don't have these problems that they're facing in the transfer market year in, year out, and also solve when it comes to kind of identifying the top talent and the right talent which needs to be got into the team in order to enhance the squad as a whole. So, I think that needs to be their priority going into maybe, say, next summer where they identify... Uh, they've been lucky to win the game against Brighton in the second game of the season, but um, all in all, it's been a very disappointing si- uh, start to the season for Man United. And um, like we mentioned there, the defence has been pretty frail, um, putting it lightly even, and... Uh, but one thing they've done is they've tried to ensure that they showed up the midfield with the signing of Donny van der Beek. And he still hasn't started a Premier League game for Man United, which is a concern uh, with the fact that, you know, there is a clear lack of quality with uh, Paul Pogba not providing the goods at this point in time. Um, do you think that, again, like we saw in the lockdown period, and especially in the Europa League when United uh, lost out of Sevilla, that they haven't addressed the lack of depth? Because if you think about it, the front three or front four, however, whichever way you look at it, is not really covered by um, lack of uh, quality, depth. And I, I don't think Dan James is a suitable enough replacement. I think he needs some regular game time at a lower level. But at this time, it seems more concerning to me that they have no depth for people who normally get injured, like Rashford and Martial tend to get injured over a season. I agree with you on that point and I do think that if you just look at the squad as a whole just based on the names that are there at the squad you do think that there is kind of depth to the squad but um, Daniel James thing for example he plays on the right wing but uh, if you look at it the right wing right now like initially when I used to look at it I'm like do they really need Jaden Sancho but yes they definitely did need Jaden Sancho because you cannot be playing Mason Greenwood on the right for too long because he does tend to cut in a little bit more to the centre and he can be deployed as a centre forward more. And um, the way I look at it, I think Jaden Sancho would have been an excellent addition to the squad. But they also do need depth when it comes to the central midfield, especially the central defensive midfield, because Nemanja Matic is not good enough. Um, the mood was very, very contrasting at St. Mary's uh, from the start of the last season to the end because. Um, one cannot forget, you know, the 9-1 battering at the hands of Leicester City early on in the season and they were languishing at the bottom of the table. And even remembering that press conference that uh, coach Ralph Hasenhutl gave where he said that he was the one to blame and the club should take responsibility as to the players and the manager because it is probably the worst Premier League game in Southampton's history. And to go from that to, you know, a season where they finished in the top 15 and they showed a lot of glimpses of promise with Danny Ings, of course finally making it uh, through a season with a lot of goals and fitness, uh, more importantly. Um, I think, for me personally, Ralph Hasenhutl should have had a shout for manager of the season. Um, Of course, he would be overshadowed eventually by Chris Wilder and Jurgen Klopp's achievements, but 
in terms of how he handled that squad and the mentality that they went into after that defeat against Leicester was phenomenal and uh, you can't really fault the fact that Southampton probably faced an even harder um you know battle to stay in the league this season uh, i think a lot of credit needs to be given to martin sevens as well the chief executive because apparently after the 9-1 9-0 drubbing at the hands of leicester hassan hotel had offered to actually resign from the club and uh, martin sevens at the time i think he reassured the austrian very well and said that you need you are going to be the manager who takes this club forward and credit to him after that 9-0 drubbing i think he has had a complete turnaround yeah i do agree with the fact that uh, i do agree with you when you say that hassan hotel needed to have at least a little shout when he came to manager of the season especially with the fact where southampton were at after that uh, 9-0 defeat at leicester um i do think he has turned around everything at the club within a short space of time and of course he has also signed a new four year contract with the club and uh, he has improved a lot of players i think jack stephens has been excellent for them in defense and of course james wardbrouse who we all know has been called the <laughs> the southampton david beckham for quite some time with his dead ball expertise but as a wonder uh, for right foot one fantastic right foot but i think he's also kind of made him settle in the formation that he's been using the 44222 and uh, he's got the best out of him and let's not forget uh, danny ings i mean i think we need to mention danny ings because This is a guy who has been playing so well for Burnley a couple of years ago that he had actually got his dreams dream move to Liverpool but unfortunate injuries at Liverpool did not let him to get into the first team for a sustained period of time in order to showcase the talents that he clearly had and for him to go to Southampton rebuild his career there and now again show the lethal side of him in front of goal and of course the fact that he also puts in the hard yards I've never seen a striker when i look at him i see a striker who does everything for his team he tries to link up play and he's also deadly in front of goal and i do think that a lot of credit needs to be given to him for the mentality that he has shown in order to come back from a lot of injury issues at the past i think that's it's a lot of burden placed on him to you know keep up the goals that he uh, managed to score last season and i think a lot of responsibility again lies on his strike counterpart she adams shoulders because he was brought in for a big fee from birmingham last season and I think for ninety percent of the season he was a flop until he scored that wonder goal against Man City, but he has a lot of responsibility to take as well because they've lost Pierre Emil Hoiberg, their captain, and uh, that's a big loss for them in the central of the park. And uh, although he might not be a household name and not one of the biggest names that have left Southampton in the last four or five years, the impact that he has on the team is quite significant. And I think if they don't manage to um replace that with you know suitable reinforcements in the other areas which they've probably brought in Kyle Walker Peters at right back and um you know they're trying to link uh, Ings and Sheerams together to kind of get a symbiotic re- relationship between the two uh, but it's going to be hard for them to score goals and also keep clean sheets because um we saw against Tottenham that they were just wide open at the back and you can't be playing like that every week and week out if you want to stay in the Premier League I do agree with that and uh, but I just think that the the Southampton model right now of course after they were bought out for 210 million a couple of years ago by and they are the second club to have Chinese ownership right now and of course we all know the model that they have it's kind of a self-sufficient model that they've tried to employ over the last 2 to 3 years and uh, they've always had talent coming through that they could have sold on for a higher amount and then reinvested into the squad but I think that in my opinion 
their one of their best signings of the last two three years has been Ralph Hasenhutl because is he's just not setting up a team in order to ensure that they don't get into a relegation fight. I do think he's setting up a team that looks to be exciting off the ball with the way that they're pressing, especially in the wings and the kind of football that he's trying to employ at the club. So I do think that um, time needs to be given, and of course the four-year contract uh, reflects that. And I do see him doing wonders at Southampton. Maybe not getting into the European positions, but I do see him this season finishing around, say, maybe 9th to 10th position like that. Maybe even contending with Leeds for like the 8th or 9th or 10th position in that table. And I do see them finishing in the top half this season. Coming on to a couple of recently promoted sides, of course, West Rom and Fulham. Um, contrasting fortunes the way they've come up because Fulham of course came through the lucrative championship playoff final at Wembley but uh, coming out of West Brom first of course uh, under their manager Slavin Bilic who has been a proven Premier League manager and it was sad to see him leave West Ham in the first place but to see him back at, at West Brom must give you a lot of uh, happiness I do like Slavin Bilic I think he's a very charismatic manager and of course I've been seeing a lot of these uh, games where he's come on BT Sport especially during the World Cup where it was him, Roy Keane, Gary Neville, and Wright giving their analysis for the World Cup. And I did enjoy especially his analysis of football and the way he looked at football and the way that he felt football needed to be played. So I think it's very good for the Premier League. He's a good advert for the Premier League when it comes to being a manager. And um, he's always been one of those charismatic managers who kind of tends to get the team to play good football. And of course, the acquisition of Grady Diangana from West Ham, who we spoke about in the earlier clip and the outroar, outcry caused at West Ham uh, due to the fact that they were selling arguably their best youngster from the squad to maybe, say, a challenger for the same positions in the league before the season started. And when I look at West Ham this season, I do think that Callum Robinson along with Mathis Pereira, Grady Diangana, they can do a lot of damage going forward. And of course, they also have Hal Robson, Kanu, Charlie Austin to come on seasoned and get them, you know, a little bit of um, seasoned veterans who kind of will stretch the defense when required in order to make sure that there is space for the midfield players to do their thing. And of course, also Hassel and Harry, the centre-back pairings that are there on the pitch. So I do they, I do see that team. And um, to be very fair, I, I hope they stay in the Premier League. But until now, the quality that they've been show, that they've showed, especially off the ball where I don't see that much of organization especially the Chelsea game 3 of course we can say when they went 3-0 at half time I think it is more due to Chelsea's errors but they did take their chances and that's the most important thing but after the break I did not see any semblance of cohesion when it came to the send, to the defense and the midfield there was too much gap between them so I do think that Slavin Bidlich is going to look at that as one of the main points that he'll need to look after in order to ensure that this does not happen again in the league and that they're not in a relegation battle. Fulham, of course, have had a more tumultuous start of the season. Um, there are already suggestions stating that uh, you can't even put a bet on them getting relegated because that's how obvious it seems to the bookmakers that Fulham are going down. Um, under their manager, Jordan Belfort, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Scott Parker, um, there's a lot There's a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, their uh, sporting director came out and put out a tweet the other day saying that there's still, you know, he was outlining the transfer policy on Twitter and that, of course, created <laughs> a lot of... Khan. Tony Khan. Don't I you mean, think he needs Ozil's PR team? <laughs> definitely. I think a lot of clubs need Ozil's PR team at the moment. Uh, it's a different scenario, but for Fulham, 
Um, they have signed a few players, not the same number of players that they signed the last time they got up two years ago, which is quite, you know, it was hilarious to see the number of signings they made that season. But it seems like this year they've got all the signings wrong again. Uh, we still haven't seen uh, any of the signings show up, really. Um, I think maybe what this is two years ago when Fulham did come into the league, uh, they went and spent nearly 100 million, 100 million tops on their... Um, players and a lot of teams a lot of fans at the time were saying that you know uh Sinisa Milhajovic had done actually a fantastic job with getting Fulham to be playing some clearly attractive football in the championship and then when they did get promoted they felt that they bought too many players which kind of disrupted the system that he had employed at the club and uh, I don't know what to think about Fulham this time I clearly don't because at the starting of the season when Arsenal played them they were kind of ripped up uh, left right and center there was too much again there was too much gaps between the defense and the midfield. There's no cohesion. And when I look at Fulham this time, I do think that, you know, a couple of names, of course, stand out. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic can be a handful for any defender. Even for Van Dijk, he can be a handful. Uh, he's got pure power, aggression, and he can head the ball well. And, of course, he can also hold up the ball pretty well and get in other players to come into the uh, play as well. Um, what do you think about Fulham? And what do you think their chances should be under Scott Parker? And uh, do you think that it's been a good decision by them not to repeat the mistake of spending too much money on a couple of players who might just add to the squad depth but not necessarily to the quality in the starting level? I think they have a lot more problems than the ones on the pitch. And we just briefly touched upon the fact that they need a PR uh, specialist because um, at these times, especially at this time where fans are supported from home, you don't really get the feedback that you do get on the pitch. And sometimes when the team plays poorly, you don't see that um, the booing and the boycotting of teams and leaving the stadium early and stuff like that, which which puts the team in a false position of hope because at best, Fulham probably would be 18th or 19th. And I say that very, very uh, realistically because they just don't have the quality at the back. They look like they're at 6 or 7s every game and even at home, you know, expect them to at least show some resilience and they were picked apart by Aston Villa. So... It doesn't look good. And unless Mitrovic, who is the only man, I think, in that team who can actually turn up and match the level that the Premier League is offering, turns up with a few bangers and they somehow manage to keep some clean sheets, points are going to be very hard for them to cover by. Even draws are going to be hard to cover by because of their leaky defence. And we're seeing a lot of Premier League teams in and around that area, the relegation zone, have a lot of goals in them but not clean sheets. Fulham don't have goals and don't have clean sheets. So it's pro probably the worst combination and... I think I agree with the bookmakers. I agree with Jamie Carragher even, who said that they're already relegated. I think they are. It's almost like a lost cause. Unless, of course, Scott Parker can turn it around and he's a young manager, so we never know.